Thank you, Jerry, for leading us in prayer in that mini-sermon. We appreciate it very much. All right. It's all good. Well, welcome. We are glad you are here. Thanks for joining us at 9.30. Thanks if you were at home joining us in uh, worship as well on live stream. We are glad you're here. It is good to so, see so many people here. I know at the 8 o'clock I had a lady come in and she said, you know, I haven't been in the sanctuary in a year. I think it's been almost exactly a year this week, so it's great. It's great to see some of you back, especially after, as Jerry had included in your prayer, uh, you've gotten the vaccine, and we are just so glad that you are here. As Jerry mentioned last week, we're now in the Gospel of Mark, and if you've been reading the New Testament in a year with us, congratulations. You've read the entire uh, Gospel of Matthew, and uh, Mark is a shorter gospel. It's the shortest of the four. It's about 16, it is 16 chapters, so at eight chapters, we're about halfway through, so uh, keep it up, good work, and we are glad that you're doing that. Today's passage is another story of healing uh, from Jesus, and kind of looking ahead, this is the last kind of healing story uh, we're going to have in the Gospels for a while, and it kind of comes with a twist today, so I'll leave that to you. Maybe you can figure that out as we read now from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 30, and the scripture this morning, if you're here, is on uh, your handout. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, do not even go into the village. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them, not to tell anyone about him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, on this beautiful uh, day gathered together, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts on this scripture and on what it can mean to us be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When we study the Bible, especially the New Testament, and especially the Gospels, we are learning more about Jesus. We don't want to learn more, though, just about Jesus. We want to learn more to be like Jesus. One of the things we say here at ZPC is to be shaped more like Jesus, to look more him, look more like him, and act more like him. Now, you may say, uh, Scott, I'm not going out and healing anybody soon. I know we have some medical and healthcare workers here, and you guys do great healing. And yet, Scott, I'm not going out and healing someone who is blind. And yet, I think today, again, we can learn uh, how Jesus treats this man and how he leads his disciples. So let's learn from that. When I've read this passage many times over the last 10 days or so, one of the things that first stood out to me it says, a little phrase there, Jesus led the man by the hand out of the village and healed him in private. He led him by the hand. Here is 
God's Son, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, both divine and human, willing and wanting to touch someone. And you think about maybe if you've had kids or grandkids or played any games where someone put a blindfold on you and they have to lead you by the hand. It's a trusting moment, can be a gentle moment. Jesus is doing that to this man. Jesus is the gentle Jesus. He doesn't need to heal in a crowd. He's not the greatest showman. He doesn't need the crowd's approval. When he took the man by the hand, maybe the man needed a more personal relationship. Maybe he didn't want him to be a spectacle. And certainly we can surmise that Jesus didn't want to be seen as the Messiah, the supernatural Messiah, the supernatural king just yet. Now, Jesus certainly heals and does his miracles publicly. We read last week, if you were here, if you were watching, that there were four men who brought their friend through the roof And Jesus forgave his sins and healed him publicly in the midst of a crowd. But I think today speaks to Jesus as the Messiah, but a different kind of Messiah. So let's talk about healing for a bit and then come back to Jesus as Messiah. So Jesus heals people. Why does Jesus heal As I looked about it, as I read about it this week, I think first, because he is asked, in almost every circumstance, or possibly every circumstance, someone comes to Jesus who is sick, or their loved one is sick, someone close to them is sick, and they ask Jesus, oftentimes, almost out of desperation, I think it says in this passage, they begged him to heal this man. And I think second, Jesus has compassion. Jesus, part of his character, is to be compassionate. One writer says this, those physical healings were vivid displays of both Jesus' power and his compassion. His power and his compassion, I think, combine to show his coming kingdom, where he will be in charge, people will be cared for, those who are sick and sinners are made well. Healing represents this kingdom, which will be more lasting and more powerful than even earthly healing. Now, this healing is with a twist. It's unique because he touches the man two times, and in the middle, he asks him a question. What do you see? We think this is the only time in the scriptures where it doesn't just take one touch or one word from Jesus to heal. It takes twice. So, It actually says Jesus takes saliva, and another uh, uh, translation, spittle, which is kind of gross when you think about it, and he touches the man's eyes. Maybe perhaps the first touch is to physically clean his eyelids, and then he says, what do you see? And the man says, I see people like trees walking around. Then he touches him again, and the man is healed. So the healing is gradual. And we see Jesus not just using his words to heal, but using his touch, and not once, but twice. So we could ask today, is everyone healed who asked God or who asked Jesus for healing? And the answer is unfortunately no, at least not physically healed. I know as a pastor here at ZPC in my many years, I've had many opportunities, I have many calls Maybe as Jesus did, people call and they ask or they send an email or they come say, Scott, will you pray for me? 
Will you pray for my mom, my, my daughter, my son? They're hurting, and they need healing. I said, of course, I'd be happy to pray for you. There have been times, not a lot, but, but sometimes where I've been asked to go with elders of the church, maybe in a room here at the church, or actually to go to someone's house and to lay hands on and ask for healing. And I can tell you, oftentimes when people are desperate is when their loved ones are the sickest, and there have been many of those times when those people were not physically healed. And so there's different kinds of healing. The person may not be healed in the way that we prayed, but the person can be healed, as we know. When someone dies who is a believer, they are healed by being in God's presence for eternity. Paul says, with a new body, and they see Jesus face to face in a new kingdom. In that way, they are healed. There are other ways to be healed, too. Many of you here are part of the Great Banquet community. And I went to the Great Banquet more than 20 years ago. And, and one of the things I remember still about that weekend was one of the talks they gave. It was one of the 15 talks at, at my banquet weekend. This, this gentleman got up and, and he spoke and he spoke about his life. And they're supposed to stand at a, at a lectern like this. But I realized pretty quickly he said that he was uh, too weak to stand. He was undergoing treatment for cancer, so they brought out a, a stool for him to sit on. So he got everybody's attention very quickly. And then I don't remember all what he talked about, but I remember very specifically he said this. He said, I give thanks for cancer. And I'm looking around thinking, why? What is he talking about? He gives thanks for cancer. And he goes on to explain that because of the cancer, he had been praying to God to heal him. But what he found out was through that prayer, he was drawing closer and closer to God, more than he ever had been in his entire life. And because of the cancer, he was drawing closer and closer to his family. So he could say, actually with a smile on his face that day, that he gave thanks for cancer. The cancer did take his life later, but he would say he was healed in a sense by drawing closer to God and closer to his family. So today, where do you need healing? Emotional, physical, spiritual, relational healing? Like the blind man in the story, where do you need Jesus to lead you, maybe even lead you by the hand? Where do you need Jesus to offer a touch on your life, maybe not just once, but many times. I think I have kind of an unusual place, maybe you can relate to this, where I would say, I need healing. I might put that in quotes, but I think it's, I think it's definitely healing. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a worrier. Now, if you ask me, and I talk to most of you, maybe on your way in or way out of the gathering space, or if I see you, and you'll say, Scott, how you doing? How's your family? We're fine, everybody's fine because I hide it well if I tend to worry about things. Anybody out there with me on that? You say fine, but you really worry about things? Okay, I see some of you. I think I need healing from this, and I don't want to overstate it, but I think it's true. So lately, my latest worry is about all my kids uh, going to college, and specifically paying for college when you look at the price tags of college. None of you have ever worried about that, right? So, right, all right. In analyzing this about myself, I think several things are true. I do think I need healing from this because it's something that I know that I worry about too much. Another thing that is true, 
I know that God has always provided for me and for my family, and I believe most of the time that he always will. And I say most of the time because I know sometimes I still doubt because I worry about that. Much of the way that God has provided for me is through this church, is by paying me a salary to do ministry and paying Pastor Jerry and our other staff. And I want to tell you, um, I feel that it is a great privilege, and I am blessed to do ministry to church and to be paid for it. And I am grateful to God and give thanks to God for his provision in that way. I think God provides in other ways, sometimes that are surprises, in ways that I don't even understand. I think another thing, sometimes I think if I had a lot of money, maybe everything would be fine and I wouldn't have to worry. But I think I need to be healed from that thought as well because as, as I know myself, I'm afraid that if I had enough money to pay for all the years of college and all my future expenses, I might just trust God a little less. I might just pray a little less. I might just depend on God a little less. As Jerry prayed the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. I think we need our daily bread. I think we need to be people who are daily, weekly, and monthly asking for God to provide and being grateful and thankful for when God provides for us. We need that dependence, that love, and that gratefulness for God's provision. Therefore, I would say I am still in process with this. As the man, the blind man was, I still need God to touch me on this. I still need him to lead me on this. And I still need healing. We as Christians grow gradually, slowly. We need the help of others as the paralyzed man did last week. We need the community of faith. And we need the help of God to be healed, to be changed. Jesus, when he healed the man, and Mark switches gears here, and he says that then they journeyed to Caesarea Philippi. And I know from looking up the geography, Bethsaida is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Caesarea Philippi is a long walk to the north, way out in the country, almost up in the mountains to Mount Hermon near Syria. And it says, on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And then he says to the disciples, who do you say I am? Now, I looked back at the first eight chapters of Mark, They have seen him heal, uh, do all kinds of miracles, walk on water, feed thousands, forgive sins, which only God can do. And Peter says, and the disciples believe, you are the Messiah. They rightly say he is the Messiah, but maybe still not the Messiah they think he should be. The Jewish people at that time thought that the Messiah would be a great powerful leader. And I was reading some commentaries this week. One said this, the Messiah was thought of as a great superhuman figure crashing into history to remake the world and in the end to vindicate God's people. The Messiah was supposed to come to overthrow Rome and restore Israel to to its glory. But I think here is where grace gets dangerous, as this sermon series is called, because Jesus chooses to be a different kind of Messiah, and he is king, but a different kind of king. He is the Messiah who takes the blind man away from the village. He works quietly, humbly, sometimes in secret. He is the Messiah who is not crashing in 
but waits for the right time. It took time for the blind man to be healed. It takes time for the disciples to understand who he is. It takes time for us to grow in our faith. And still, now in my 50s, I still am learning things, if not every week, every month, about who I am and and what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus as Messiah is not the powerful, smash the Romans kind of Messiah. He had a different agenda to to turn things upside down where he says the first will be last and the last will be first. He would be a Messiah who truly was king, more than just the king of the Jews, but king of kings, as we read in the New Testament. But he would also have to suffer and die As we look ahead to Good Friday, as we are in this season of Lent, we think about what did it mean for Jesus to suffer for us. And as we look forward to Easter, we look forward to the fact that he will be resurrected and we can celebrate that on Easter Sunday, that he is truly the Son of God and the King. The disciples in this part, right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, are still learning what it means for him to be the Messiah. It will be dangerous for them to trust Jesus. He will suffer and die. And if the disciples fully follow him, they will suffer too. Jesus won't be the conquering hero, the military king, not even a spellbinding miracle worker or like a a magician. He will be gentle Jesus, the suffering servant, and King Jesus. So let's take a moment to look at those. First, he is the gentle Jesus who leads the man by the hand and touches him twice. His touch matters. Touch matters to us too. I don't know about you all, but uh, my wife Claire and I have been watching on Netflix this series, The Crown. It's about Queen Elizabeth of Great Britain from when she was a, a young woman, and now we're in season four, and in a recent episode, there's a commoner based on, this is based on a true story, true story, who sneaks into Buckingham Palace early in the morning before a light comes up and makes his way up to her bedroom and breaks in and wakes her up while she's sleeping. True story. He's not there to hurt her or really do anything bad. He shares of his frustration with what's going on. He's unemployed. He's separated from his family and what's going on in the country. Even in fear, you can see in the scene, she listens carefully to him. And in the end, as the police are getting ready, the palace police getting ready to to rush into the room when they hear about what's going on, he reaches out to shake her hand. And the police come in in a dramatic moment and they say, don't touch her because it wasn't right to touch the queen. They're probably also worried about her safety. And she looks at them and she says, it's okay. And she reaches out and takes his hand. And from watching many episodes of the series, it's not very often that people touch the queen. It's not very often that she reaches out and touches others. In fact, most of the time when they come into her presence, they bow. What if Jesus were like that? What if Jesus, when he was walking on earth was like that where he rarely touched people and people were expected to be in his presence to bow to him. Now certainly as divine Jesus, as the son of God, we read and as we sang in the songs that were beautiful this morning, we can bow our hearts, we can bow our heads, we can get on our knees 
and pray to him out of reference and praise and love for him. But Jesus on the earth was the gentle Jesus. He reaches out and touches lepers. And, you know, lepers were unclean. You weren't supposed to touch lepers. He could have healed them by his word, but he doesn't. He touches them. He asks children to come to him, even when the disciples are like, no, stay away. He says, let the little children come to me. Jesus doesn't do social distancing in the Gospels. He reaches out and touches others. I think one of the things I've missed and that you've missed during the pandemic is touch. I find myself sometimes in the gathering space taking my hands and putting them behind my back because I want to reach out and pat you on the shoulder or shake your hand, but I know that's not good right now to touch hands with each other. A pat on the back, a hug, we miss those things. Jesus reminds us even today of the power of touch, that touch is better than FaceTime, better than Zoom, better than visiting someone through a window. So we look forward to the more opportunities to touch. And metaphorically and symbolically, we can still reach out and touch people through our words and deeds. Jesus is the gentle Jesus. He is also a suffering servant. Isaiah said he would be a man of suffering and familiar with pain as he looked forward to the Messiah. It's in Isaiah 53, a beautiful passage if you want to read that sometime. The Messiah will suffer and die for the disciples and for us. He could relate to people who suffered then like this blind man, and he can relate to us who suffer today. Jesus talked a lot about poverty and oppression, those who were downtrodden. He can still help those today. This is a dangerous Messiah, one I can follow because we need him, because of our great sin and because of his great love. But it's dangerous to follow him. You know, if Jesus were a conquering hero, we might get behind him and cheer and give fist pumps. Let's go, Jesus. Let's take control. Let's dominate the competition. I think as Americans, you know, we're used to winning, to winning wars. We're used to competing. We're used to winning Olympic games. We're the superpower. And so we might desire, like the Jewish people back then, a Messiah who wins who dominates, but more likely we should worship him as King Jesus. There's this dichotomy. He is the king, the king of all kings, and yet the gentle king, the one who is holy, 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 but also is gentle, suffering, and willing to die. So we are called as his followers today to be shaped like Jesus To live, as it says in the New Testament, with joy, love, peace, patience, and kindness, gentleness, and self-control. So what about the disciples, and then what about us? Well, the disciples, they followed him, sometimes failing, but they, they followed him, even though they were scared. Judas ran away. Peter denied knowing him three times. Thomas doubted that Jesus had really risen from the dead. They were flawed. But for the most part, they dangerously lived like him even after he went to heaven, risking their lives to tell people to follow him. They saw everything clearly, gradually, as the blind man in this story did, and they grew in faith and boldness following him. 
So what do we need to be like this man, to see everything more clearly? Well, I think you can pray for Jesus to do something new in you. That's what I need to pray as well. To pray to see the way that Jesus sees things, the way he sees people. To see a Messiah, a king who is gentle, who suffered, who was a servant leader. So maybe an action step we can do this week is to do something I heard years ago and it really stuck with me. Said instead of climbing up the ladder of success as we are want to, to do, how about we climb down a step or two, down the rungs of the ladder to see who's there and how we may lift them up or touch them in word or deed. I read this week this statement, it's not enough to know what others say about Jesus. You must know, understand, and accept for yourself that Jesus is the Messiah. You must move from curiosity to commitment. I would add to that, we need to move to being open to being healed where we need Jesus to heal us. And then from being healed to helping and touching others and not just to know about Jesus, but to move as we learn about him to be like Jesus. So let's pray for that now. God, we are grateful to have uh, you and to be in your presence this morning, that you sent Jesus, who was so unique, who's the Son of God, but also the gentle Jesus, the suffering servant, and the King of kings all at once. God, help us to be open to being healed and then being open to find ways to touch someone else, whether in word or deed, in our actions this week, not to know more about Jesus, God, but for Jesus, for you, to be more like you as we, as we learn and grow with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.